Hi guys. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Chasing Heroin on this day. So if you are listening on the Audible platforms, on the audio platforms, this is one I'm also recording for YouTube. If you want to pop over, watch it on YouTube, because I am actually doing something that's an actual, um, like I'm physically doing something that you might want to see. I mean, I think I'll describe it pretty well. But if you want to also watch and subscribe on YouTube, obviously that, you know, any traction we can get to any of the platforms is helpful to help spread a message. So Chasing Heroin with an E on YouTube also. Every other episode I'm filming for YouTube also. So this is an episode that I probably should have already done. And this is why I, I'm really glad that you guys reach out and tell me what you want to hear about because I overwhelmingly heard requests for this topic and I thought, oh my God, how did I not ever think of that before? And the reason I never thought of it is because it doesn't really affect me anymore at six and a half years and that is cravings. What do you do when you have a craving in the moment that is so overwhelming and you guys, that's the space I lived in obviously forever. I remember one time, I don't know why the story just popped into my head. I was on the bus. I was in a program in, in Oceanside and I was on the bus with one of the other girls who was much further along in terms of, you know, sobriety and, and where she was at with wanting to be sober. Her consequences had been huge. She had like 18 months and we were talking and I had 30 days or something and we were on the bus talking and she was looking at me talking and outwardly I was like, Mm -hmm. And mentally, I was scanning the bus to see if I thought anybody on there might have meth because it's public transportation. Let's be honest. Sometimes that's where it is. And it was all I could think about. Like, I never wanted anything as bad as I did in that moment. And I had moments like this every single day where I was like, oh, my God, shut up. Like, I just really want to get high right now. Like, I just remember thinking that over and over and over again. And I did, like a week later. So how did I get to the space? And I got caught. How did I get to a space where I got through the cravings? And the other thing I want to share with you guys, at six and a half years, I don't deal with this anymore. And I'm not sharing that so, the, so to let, be like, oh, look at me, I, I win recovery. I'm sharing that for the same reason I share everything, which is that I want my life to be the evidence for all of you guys that recovery works and that life can change and that we're not, we're not, we're not in this loop of destructive using behavior forever. I've really kind of broken that. I, I don't think about it anymore, not even alcohol. Like I'll be around people drinking sometimes, and it might cross my mind, but we're going to talk about where I get to later. But like, occasionally I'm like, I guess it would be fun to do a few shots with people. But but one of these other tools comes into play and, and, and the moment passes and it still doesn't even happen, you know, that often. But okay, so the first thing I want to share. So I've got four really specific things that you can do in the moment of a craving that helped me get through it. So hopefully there's a little bit of hope right? That you're not always going to feel this way. You won't always have these overwhelming cravings and you can walk away from this podcast with, with some, you know, actionable tools in the moment. So the first thing I'm going to say is not really a tool to get through a craving, but it's a way to set yourself up for success. And you've probably heard it before, but it's true. Delete contacts, delete connect contacts, people you used with, delete them from your phone, Facebook, Instagram, wherever, and I deleted and blocked so that I couldn't find them again later, like if I forgot their Instagram name or something. And I know no one wants to do that. And I get it because what I'm not going to do is, you know how counselors at programs will be like, those people want you to die. They're not your friends. That's not my experience. 
some of those people that I was using with like were my friends and, and they weren't dirt bags, but my goals for my life don't align with where they're at right now. And that's just a fact. And it was really hard for me to let go of that because especially when you've been using as long as I had, it was my only friends. My only friends were people that I knew from NA from the times that I'd go for a few months here and there and then people that I used with. So set yourself up for success. Delete those contacts because, you know, we all have that moment in the beginning. There's a day when you're like, oh my God, I'm done. I, I'll do whatever it takes. Take advantage of one of those moments. Go through and delete everybody. And I know that like a few hours later or the next day, you might be like, oh shit, I shouldn't have done that. But I'm here to tell you that at six and a half years, I'm really glad I did that at 10 days because you might have somebody else. You might be watching somebody else on YouTube right now if I hadn't deleted some of those contacts because this is the only time I ever did that. I had never done that before. My thought was, no, I should be strong enough that I should be able to still talk to those people and not use. But in the beginning those habits are so wired and so strong. There's no strength to get over that. We, we have connections where neurological connections, we see someone, this is their response. So to give yourself a fighting chance, we got to cut back some of those connections. So that's the first thing I'm going to say. So that even if you get a craving, none of these things work. There's some space before you can actually reach out to someone, right? So that's the first thing I suggest. You might even want to change your own phone number. I actually did not do that this time. You know, I hadn't had a phone for very long when I was using, again, this last relapse. I hadn't had it for very long, and I knew I was taking a risk, but I had already applied for a job that the place where I own now, and I just thought maybe they would think it was weird. I'm just going to be totally honest with you guys, but that was probably a mistake on my part. It worked out this time, but I think I was taking a chance. But I had deleted all the contacts. And, you know, the average connect isn't going to come looking for you in three months. I mean, they might. I had one guy that, like, kept reaching out for a little bit. And then they stopped. So here are my here are my things. The first one is this. And you guys, I know this is going to sound a little silly, but it works. And it worked for me. And I learned this from somebody else at an NA meeting. A friend of mine was speaking. And his mother, and he'd been a long-term IV drug user also, meth and heroin. And he had like, I don't know, seven years. And he said that he had to bring his mom to a doctor's appointment when he only had like 90 days. And he was at the doctor's appointment with his mom. And she had to get injections of something into her eye. I remember this part because I remember being like, ooh. So he had to go and watch because she was scared. And the nurse dropped the orange cap to a rig on the ground. And without thinking, he picked it up to hand it to her and was so hit with the desire to use, he like couldn't stand himself. But he was with his mother and he couldn't leave. He excused himself to step out of the room momentarily. And he said he doesn't even know where it came from. He put his hands like this and pictured himself using and then went like this and threw it up in the air like a literal throw it to God. And then he got really present in the moment. So he said, here, take this, throw it up, got very aware of his surroundings, felt the handle on the door, walked back in, looked at his mom, looked at the nurse, sat down and the moment passed. When I heard that, I remember thinking it was really silly, but the next time, I really wanted to use, and I'm going to share even a more recent example of this. I did the same thing. If I would think, like say I would see somebody on public transportation that I knew I could get loaded with, 
So say the act was shooting up or say the act was smoking. I would picture, I put a vision of myself using my hands and I say, hey, man, if I have to sit with this, I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. So I need you to take this from me because I can't, I can't deal with this right now. I need you to take this from me or I'm going to act on it. And I literally go like this and I make a little noise. He didn't make the noise. I think I made that up later. I go and I think about throwing it up to God. And then the next part is really important, getting really present. So say, just say in some like crazy world, I had a craving right now while I was recording. Go like this, put the thought here, throw it up in the air. And then get really connected through your senses to your immediate environment. So like, you know, taste, like drink this, look at what's here, feel what's here, kind of become aware of like the chair beneath me. So you engage your five senses in the moment and get very present in the moment. And you guys, it has worked for me. That has worked for me. That's bought me time that I never could get before. That silly little maneuver. I highly recommend it. Take this, because if I keep it, I'm going to use, throw it, get present. And then I turn my attention to whatever's in the moment too. So like say that had happened while I was recording, I turn my attention to the moment. Okay, where am I? I'm on the first tool. Here's a second tool. So you get your senses activated and get present in the moment. And that has worked for me. And it worked for me. So at like mm, three years, I think, I went on an amazing trip to Puerto Vallarta with my uh, in-laws. They weren't my in-laws yet, but my future in-laws took Skylar and I on this amazing trip. And it was one of the best trips I've ever been on in my life. And they'd already gotten down there before us. So Puerto Vallarta is in Mexico and we were meeting them later. So we flew into the airport and we're, we get off the plane in Mexico and we're in, a, we're in a cab and we're driving to the house that they had rented. And you guys, I'm looking, it's Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. Like Everywhere is just awesome looking bars. And and I loved tequila. That was like one of my things. They were kind of all my things, but tequila and whiskey and Jaeger in the beginning. Um, tequila like signs and posters and people in bathing suits like having a good time. And I'm in the cab and I was like, oh my God, what was I thinking? I can't go to Mexico. I can't go to a party city in Mexico. Like I'm going to drink. That's what you do in Mexico. Like, why did I come here? I'm going to blow three years. All this was like happening inside my mind. And my husband wanted to get some cigars. So we pulled over and he got out of the car and he was getting himself some cigars. And I was freaking out thinking like, what an idiot I am. Like I'm in recovery. I can't be here. And I was frantic. And you guys, I stopped. Skyler got back in the car and he was like looking at his cigars and I felt stupid because we'd been together like, I don't know, not that long. And I didn't really want him to see me be like, but I did it anyways. And he doesn't even remember. I've asked him if he remembers me doing that and he doesn't. He was like looking at his cigars or something. I kind of turned away. The cab driver saw me though. Isn't that weird? <laughs> but I kind of turned away. He's like, what is this girl doing? And I put these thoughts of me drinking and doing shots in my hands and I was like, God, you got to take this because if I have to hold on to this, I'm going to do it. And I closed my eyes and I literally went, you take it, take it, take it, take it. And then I got really present in the moment. I actually asked if I could smell one of the cigars, smelled the cigar, felt the cab seat, looked outside, it passed and I didn't struggle with it again the rest of the trip. But if I had, I would have just done that again and it passed. So 
that's what's worked for me. It might sound silly, but I don't know. It worked for me. Another one, if you have the ability to do this, which you don't always in the moment, if you can find actual ground, earth, like dirt, and get your feet in it and breathe, and there's a lot of actually science behind this one, if you can get connected to the earth and then do this breath pattern. So you inhale for two counts, inhale for four, hold two, and exhale six in earth, doing that breath pattern, the moment will pass. And I have another example of this. I was in my sober living, I don't know, had 90 days. I was taking a bus somewhere. And this girl that I adore, she actually watches the show now. She might know who I mean. This girl that I adore was like really struggling and she was still using in the house, which I like kind of knew, but I wasn't sure. And I, of anybody I've ever met in recovery, I related more to this girl of anybody I've ever known in my entire life. Like we kind of look the same. Um, we had the same tendencies with using, uh, just our stories were like really similar. I, I just related to her so much. I still do. And somebody texted me and I was waiting for the bus after I'd been teaching and said, so-and-so we think is relapsing. I want to test her. How do I test her so that she doesn't pass the test? Cause like me, she could kind of finagle a test. And Part of me like didn't want to answer because I didn't want to sell her out, but I knew it was vital because this was another thing that I did different in my recovery this time. Like I was not the person anymore. And I'll do another episode about this, what inspired this. I became not the person that you could tell that you were using in the house. Like I was that person where I'd be like, oh man, what are you going to do? And I'd kind of try to help you. And at some point I was like, no, I need to draw a line in the sand. I'm, I'm, I'm the person in the house that's in recovery. I'm the person you're afraid to find out. That's, that's me now. Like I, I had to embody that. And I had done that this time. So partially I didn't want to sell her out, but I'd move past that kind of stuff. But something about it also fired me up and I felt a little jealous that she was still using and I wasn't. And I just got overcome with anxiety and the desire to use again, but not want to use it. It was just too much for me to handle. I stepped out of my shoes. I was at the bus stop, put my feet in the dirt and that that breath work that I just told you about, I actually know from yoga, not recovery. I just put the two things together in this moment closed my eyes, scrunched my toes on the dirt. I felt like ants crawling over my toes. I didn't care. And I did the breath work for a few moments. And again, it passed. You know, I did the right thing. I don't remember what I said, but I think I said something like, well, you just need to go in and watch her and, you know, pray for my friend, whatever. But all of that anxiety passed in the moment. And that, that like little nagging desire to use in the back of my mind. The third thing I started doing, so I got a card about seven months, which again is a whole episode in and of itself, how that came about, because it's much earlier than I thought that I was going to get one. I got a car and I was dating a guy who lived in a sober living very near mine. So there was his sober living up the hill and my sober living. He didn't have a car yet. So I would drop him off at night after we'd been hanging out and I would drive back. And the first, did I say seven months? Yeah, seven months is when I got the car. The first several months of getting that car, every single night when I dropped him off, got in my car, I realized not only did I have a car to drive to a connect, I had a place to get high inside of. And you guys know if you're doing like the public transportation sober living thing, there's not a lot of privacy. I now had a little encapsulated space where I could get high and I had money because I was working and I had a car. And so, and I'd become a responsible enough person that I could 
responsibly maybe go use and go back home. Every night I felt this way. But I desperately didn't want to lose all the things, you know, for all the reasons that you're watching this right now. We don't really want to be doing it anymore. But I could not stop that thought cycle from coming up. And so this is what I told myself every single night. And it wasn't an intense, like the one in Mexico, I'm going to use right now or on the bus with that girl. It was more, you know what you could do? We could go do this right now. That kind of thing. And so... I told myself every single night I'd be driving down the hill. It was a super short, super short drive. Okay, you're right. We're doing a lot better. It's late. I'm going to go home and sleep. And I will get high tomorrow if I still feel this way. I'll just do it tomorrow. And not in a, like, I'm tricking myself way. Like, I'm putting it off tomorrow till tomorrow. I mean, like, really, I meant to myself. I believed it. And I was dead serious. All right, if we want to do this tomorrow, we'll just do it tomorrow for sure. Not, I'm tricking myself to get another day. I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to do it tomorrow. And then what would happen is every single time I woke up and I had one more day, one more day, one more day, over time, that added up to me going, oh, I'm kind of succeeding though, you know? And eventually that passed. A couple of months after I had the car, I didn't really think about it anymore. So those things got me through the beginning. And then the last thing that I want to share, and this I do do now, actually. I encourage you guys to, to live the result of this choice. Because it is a choice. And it's so compulsive, it feels like not a choice. But it's a choice in the moment. And, and, and it's empowering to call it, to look at it as a choice. Because it's so, there's nothing more disempowering than, than to think that we don't have the freedom to choose what we do. So I encourage you guys to adopt the mentality. And I'm not talking about addiction being a choice versus a disease. I know that addiction is a disease. I've seen evidence of that in my life and in my family. And I very much believe in the disease model of addiction. But I also know from my own research and reading that neurologically we can rewire our brain to expect for lurk for different things we can rewire our brains so though that part of me is still there and if i used it would fire up we can make a different choice when the moment erupts if that makes sense but i'm by no means suggesting that addiction is not a disease that's not what i believe i think it's i think it's an actual disease in my brain i was actually i uh i was in dui classes once and they showed, and I don't know why this study isn't talked about more, they showed a baby brain of alcoholic addict parents and a baby brain of non-alcoholic addict parents, and they were doing scans. And the baby, when they gave them both chocolate, the reward center in the baby of the non-alcoholic addict brains got huge. It like lit up. You could see it on this little um, ultrasound or whatever it's called. It lit up red. The other baby... Its reward center lit up like that much. And to get it to match this brain, it needed way more chocolate. And then it started to match what this one found on just a little bit. And so like the connection there is, to me, pretty clear. I think that your reward center in your brain for alcoholic addicts it just doesn't reach the same levels with the same amount of stuff. The good news is we can get to a place in our lives where we understand this intellectually, right? Like I saw that, I understood it, I'm sharing it with you now. Hopefully you can understand that. And the empowering part about this is we can make a different choice. And between the impulse and the event and our response is where our freedom lies, 
right? The freedom to make a different choice. That's, that's where life opens up differently. So this is what I encourage you to do. Live the result of that choice. Put it in your body. What's this going to look like? So say one of those nights and said I had, instead of me driving, actually, let's make it present right now. So right now, right? You guys know I own a spin studio. I talk about it all the time. Say today I decided, fuck it. I'm stressed out. I'm going to get high. I'm going to smoke meth today of all the days. I'm going to live that result right now. What does that look like for me? So I have a, I love my new mix right now in class. And any of my staff listening to this is going to laugh because I talk about my mixes all the time. But I have a new mix and I love it. And I did something a little different with the hill. And I really like it. So I've got this new mix that I love. Um, I'm recording this and then I've, I've got some other recovery stuff to do today. So if I smoked meth today, I would probably feel, I, I'm assuming I would get that elated feeling for like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. How long does meth last these days? I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. And then I would be in this house because my husband's at work alone with the knowledge that I had just lost six and a half years of time what a heartbreak that would be. Now I'm also going to be up all night. When he gets home, he's going to know. So that's going to be a problem. And I'm putting him at risk because he's in recovery. I'm going to be up all night, which means I have to get a sub for both of my classes tomorrow. Summertime, we're a little bit slower. I can't really afford to do that. And also I don't want to do that. I love teaching. I don't want to miss my classes tomorrow. I'm going to be up all night. I'm going to feel like shit tomorrow. And I'm going to have to, I would never continue to record this series without telling you guys. So I'd have to tell you guys I relapsed. And for me, it's less about like, you know, sometimes people relapse. I, I could work that into we relapse and look, here we go again. Like I could make it work and not lose the platforms and not lose the shows. But what I would lose that's risky is anybody watching me as evidence that people recover might feel like, well, shit, she couldn't do it. How can I? And those are all things I'm not willing to do. But I encourage you, don't just intellectually list it, feel. How would I feel sitting on the couch tomorrow? Loaded all night, out of dope, loaded. I know what that feels like. I've done that so many times. Or the few times I do maybe want to drink, like with friends or family, live the moment. So the next day, I'm going to feel hungover. I don't ever have to feel hungover now. I work out every single day in the mornings when other people are hungover the next day. If it's like a family event, you know, my husband and I are up, we're doing things. And it, uh, you know, so I, I can live the result of that, whereas the result that I don't go do all of those things. So it's kind of like play the tape, right? But, but play the tape to me is a listing of those things. I encourage you to live the result. Put it in your body. What is actually going to happen? Because you're smart. You know what's actually going to happen. So before we close, so th those are the things. Those are the four things that I do. The, uh, throw it up in the air. The breath work in four, hold two, out six with some grounding if you can. Tell yourself you'll do it the next day. Mean it. I'm not trying to tell you to trick yourself because that won't work. Do it the next day and then live the result. What's that going to feel like? You know, what does that look like for me tomorrow when I'm making the phone calls to call out of work? What is this actually going to look like when I go back the next day and people are kind of looking at me because, you know, I've done this before, or whatever your deal is. And I want to leave you with this too. And this is, this is a paraphrase of a quote from Viktor Frankl, who's a Holocaust survivor, survivor who wrote an amazing book. So there's the event that happens, which in this case is 
the craving. And then there's my response to whatever happened. In that space is where our freedom as human beings lies. That space is where our freedom lies. And the more times we choose freedom and we choose, we make choices that support our life instead of destroy our life, you get a couple of days like that, little by little, what happens is that your honor becomes more important than your mood. And so we can start to make those choices even when we're not feeling like it. And then that bleeds into the rest of your life and you can become someone that is more easily adaptable to stress. And this is part of my whole deal where I think that being an addict in recovery actually is like better for life and for success because these are the things we get to learn because they're life or death. And when, when we're faced with something and we could make a life-supporting choice or a non-life-supporting choice, you know, like that's the difference between us and them. We, we get to make that stronger choice and start to learn how to stop ourselves in the moment and make a choice that supports our goals. So thank you guys so much for listening. Again, anything you want to hear, please let me know. This isn't something I thought about addressing, except for I was getting messaged about it a ton on TikTok. So as always, guys, get back at me with your feedback and thanks for joining us. Bye.